I'm happy. I'm smiling. You looking at a bitch you been fucking hit, uh, beat, shot, molested, everything. And I smile every day. I'm trying to do an interview that people haven't heard. Okay. I've noticed a lot of people asking you the same questions and yes. like want you to tell the same stories, which are amazing, but there's a person behind all those stories, so. Hot breath. Welcome back, all my loyal hot brethren and sistren. I must start by congratulating Atlanta's own Clayton English for winning the 2015 Last Comic Standing. I'm sure many of you heard the awe-inspiring interview with him last week, and if not, uh, get your life together. Uh, because Hot Breath has had interviews with comics seen on tour with Kevin Hart. They've been seen on NBC, Comedy Central, HBO. So, if you're behind, you can catch up on our iTunes page or Audioboom page. Audioboom.com slash channel slash Hot Breath Pod. We started from the bottom, now we're here. I'm your host, Joel Byers, and today our very special guest is the incomparable Miss Pat. I can hear your applause. This groundbreaking comedian has been heard all over the top podcasts like WTF, Joe Rogan, and now Hot Breath. (sighs) However, this interview is unlike any you've heard with Miss Pat. She shares some wonderful stories you know her for, but also reveals the more sentimental side of her experience as a maternal influence on her entire neighborhood. On the comedy side, she reflects on the parallels between her former drug-dealing days and how they are similar to her current joke-dealing days. Miss Pat also pulls back the veil on her unique storytelling technique that makes her one of the most beloved comedians working today. Now, all there is to do is take in an open-hearted, hot breath with Miss Pat. Holy moly. So, could, uh, could you please say your full name into the microphone? Patricia Williams Lee is my full name. I kept my maiden name in case he don't act right, so I just drop his name instead of changing the shit. <laughs> it's easier it's to drop than change. <laughs> Well, Patricia Williams Lee. Yes, no middle name. Thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. What is your name? I am Joel Byers. Okay. You never (laughs) told me your name. And if you did, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am Joel Byers. I'm hosting the Hot Breath Podcast here. So let's hop into it. Where did you first perform stand-up comedy? At a place here in Atlanta called The Pub. How old were you? Oh, I don't fucking know. I was in my 20s. <laughs> or was I 30? I think I was like uh, 15 years, about 13 years. I'm about, I was in my early 30s when I started. Wow. Which is old as fuck, and I had no idea. <laughs> and you automatically think, oh, I made these people laugh. I'm going to be famous in two weeks. It doesn't work like that. Mm-mm. You don't know what the fuck you're doing the first time you go on stage. 
all I did was just cussed out this white girl and made it. It was really funny. I was joning her, you know, you know what joning oh, yeah, is? Roasting. Yeah. roasting her. And people was like, oh, that shit was so funny. I was like, I am a comedian. <laughs> but I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Did you do any performing as a kid at all? Uh-uh. And I was being a mama and in jail as a kid. You did some, like, at the growing up at the bootleg house. Didn't you entertain some there? Yeah, it was called Dancing for Drunk People. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if I was going to use that lesson, I would have been a stripper. Oh. Stripper. <laughs> 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 so I didn't want to use that lesson. That's why I never dance. I hate fucking dancing. I go right back to the bootleg house, and I was like, I hate this shit. <laughs> so I grew up doing it for drunk people. And nasty-looking old men. It was like, oh, pop that ass, baby. Wow. <laughs> pop that ass, baby. <laughs> that don't even sound right, does it? <laughs> no, but you were a baby when it was happening. I was Well, I was about eight. Yeah. <laughs> and I could pop my ass, too. <laughs> <laughs> so there were hecklers back then as well. Uh, no, it was niggas that wanted to fuck you back then. Oh, okay. <laughs> or just wanted to rub on your undeveloped chest. Wow. At least you can appreciate their honesty. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's why every hood got a dingling man to get you ready for the real world. I'm quite sure you didn't have a dingling man. You white. Yeah. <laughs> they, they would arrest your dingling man. They didn't give a fuck about the dingling man in the ghetto. <laughs> he kept the kids in in line. <laughs> they go to the dingling man. White kids chase the ice cream truck. Black kids mm -hmm. run away from the dingling man. <laughs> well, at least there was a neighborhood watch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell my kids, I said, back then, kids didn't really get kidnapped like they do now. I was like, where, where the fuck happened to the good old dingaling man? The person who pick you up, rub on your booty, give you $5 and bring you back home. <laughs> There's no more dingaling man. They call them child molesters now. <laughs> they call them child molesters. <laughs> Everything's so PC now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> One PC when I was giving birth at 14. Oh, wow. Well, at least you didn't, you grew up and got your chops early, you could say. Uh, yeah, they was given to you. You didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> what I've noticed interviewing a lot of comics from Atlanta is we all have a boo story, getting oh. booed on stage. What's yours? Um, I've, I had a dude that tried me one time. We was doing like open mic over in the um, New Orleans style restaurant over off of Peace Street. Copeland's. So they used to oh, do right. comedy there at night. And it was this dude that was booming. The place used to be packed. Nobody really listened to comedy. But he was booming me behind a wall and he had a skull cap on. And I lit his ass up. <laughs> so I, I mean, I've never been, I don't think I've been booed where I had to just leave the stage. I always fought back. So. What was, what's the story about you having Nerf balls thrown at you? Uh, that's, oh my God. <laughs> I was, um, I was with my friend Double D. You know Double D. I know if Double you a comic from Atlanta, yep. So he signed me up because I had been doing I had been doing open mic for about two three months. So we over at, at Griff. He was Griff used to be on V one or three at the yeah, time. I know Griff. So we go to his room and uh, if the people don't like you, they throw these Nerf balls at you. I didn't know that. So as the people come into the comedy spot, they get a they they pay their ticket money and they get they give them as many Nerf balls as they want. So Double D signed me up and I looked at him. He's like, come. 
I'm just saying, Mid Pat. I'm like, who the fuck is Mid Pat? Like, that's me. I'm like, bitch, you, you signed me up? He's like, yeah, you gotta start going on stage more. So I get up there. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, nervous, because I've never really been in front of a real comedy crowd. And I'm not doing well. And so this young dude, look, nice dressed black gentleman, hit me in the, my forehead with a fucking Nerf ball. And I'm from the hood. I'm, I'm, I'm a battered bitch. You don't fucking hit me. And I said, nigga, did you just hit me in my head with that motherfucking ball? I said, hit me again, bitch. I'm going to jump off this stage, and I'm going to smash your motherfucking ass with that turtleneck on. Wow. And I picked that ball up, and I hit that some bitch in the chest, and the crowd just went wild. <laughs> that was my first standing ovation. Running Jordan, big ass in the corner, yep. hollering, yeah. screaming. And I said, I can't believe that motherfucker hit me with that. And it wasn't no regular. It was Nerf ball that kind of you bounce on the ground. That motherfucker hit me and put a dent in my forehead. And I got a big forehead. Yeah. That motherfucker brew, all I, I had a flashback of my baby daddy beating me. <laughs> I said, nigga hit me with another ball and it's gonna be on a day. And then I jumped up and said, fuck that shit, y'all, let's rob this nigga. <laughs> <laughs> Why I wanted to rob somebody at a comedy show, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what man, because I was going to rob him. Because right. I, I had just kind of like come out of the streets. Uh -huh. You don't fucking put your hands on me, dude. I worked too hard to keep a motherfucking hands off me. <laughs> that motherfucker put his hand on me. I tried. Oh, my God. I said, y'all, let's rob this nigga. <laughs> and the crowd said, hell yeah, let's rob him. I was like, well, what are we robbing him for? <laughs> <laughs> what are we robbing him for? He was so scared of me. And he had on one of them big turtleneck. I said, now hit me with another ball, bitch. Mm -hmm. I choke your ass out with that goddamn turtleneck on. <laughs> Pussy ass. Well, I was calling him everything. <laughs> I was mad. I was really mad. That was my that's my boo story. <laughs> I, I went home and you know, like, I'm, i was going through some lady problems. You know, mm -hmm. my period was on, excuse mm -hmm. French. And you don't fuck with no woman when they suck fucking psycho on. Right. I was going crazy. I already had homeowner problem. Then you hit a bitch in the head with a with, with a nerf ball and my hormones messing up. Dude, I went hard, I couldn't believe it. But we I used to have it on video. It's the funniest shit in the world. I wouldn't look through my house because I told my husband I took it home and my kids laughed at me so hard. Yeah. They was on the floor. It's the funniest shit. I need to find that that VCR tape. That would go viral now. It probably would yeah. go viral. <laughs> Miss Pat gets smacked in yeah. the face with a nerf ball. Dude, I couldn't believe it. I could not fucking believe that man hit me with that nerve ball. Was that before you started doing your true stories and everything? Yes, that's back when I was like, I suck dick. <laughs> <laughs> I had them kind of jokes. I don't suck dick. I got vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you started comedy before you even knew what it was. Your caseworker was like, your stories are hilarious. You should yes. get on stage and do stand-up. But, but then... She, she didn't really say... She said, you should tell these stories. And I was like, I'm not telling my business. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot to, as a comic to open up. Because yeah. when you open up like that, you're allowing people to into your life, into mm -hmm. your secrets that you always had and never really told nobody. But I found it, I found it to be a way for me to heal. When I when I can openly tell you and I'm not embarrassed anymore that I had two kids by a married man at 14, then that 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 allowed me to heal heal. And also that allowed me to not let that situation have control over me. Comedy helped me get over a lot of this shit. Well, I've heard you say, you know, you can only talk about what you have forgiven. Yes. And that doesn't have control over you anymore. Exactly. But, I mean, you, I mean, you really have every reason to 
you know, be angry, be angry and yes, bitter. You look at it. You, I mean, I, I can look at it and say, oh, well, society let me down. But, you know, I, I, I started to tell myself, you know, you're only going to get out of life what you put into life. And I got that a lot. I got that saying from <clears throat> get up and get out and get something from Outcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, and my yeah. husband was like, don't nobody owe you shit. Stop feeling sorry for you. Nobody had never told me that. They don't mm. tell you that in the ghetto. Mm-hmm. They don't. Oh, they say, oh, nigga can't get up out the ghetto. Yes, you can. You know what's crazy? I would just visit my sister, and she living the way I we used to live as kids. And I called my husband. I said, you know what? I realized that the ghetto, the ghetto, the hood is like the desert. Don't nothing grow. Don't nothing grow. What the fuck grow in the desert? Dust. Thank you. And that's what them niggas look like, dusty. <laughs> I'm serious. I had to get ashy. my cousin. I had to go get my cousin. And dad's like, "Come take your pistol with me to go see my sister in the hood." Jeez. I mean, honestly, I got on a ring that I don't want stolen, and I love my relatives, but I'm like, I'm not going over there by myself. I don't have no gun. I'm a convicted felon. <laughs> so she put her 45 in her pocketbook, and I went to go tell my sister, "Hey," and I love her. How are you able to forgive? I mean, just one example that comes to my mind is like your dad. The first time you meet him, you're 11. He beats you thinking you're My your sister. sister, and then you don't meet him again till the late 20s, but then you take care of him. Yes, I late took in him until he died. Yes, I did. I mean, how did, I mean, there's, there's no role model even suggesting that to be an option. How do you forgive? Because I, I don't hold grudges. See, when you hold grudges and when you hate, it controls you. Like, people are like, how do you talk to your baby daddy? He beat you. He shot you. He did all these things mm-hmm. to you. Because I don't know how to hold a grudge. I don't know how to hate. I know how not to fuck with you, but I don't know how to hate. <laughs> I mean, hate is a strong, hate is a strong yeah. word. For you to say, I hate you, so every time you go up, see that person or think about that person, that person bring pain to you. So why am I going to hate you? I don't want you to, I don't want you to bring pain to me every time I think about you. You know, mm-hmm. so I just, I, I don't I don't hold a grudge. I just, I look at life like this. If it's bigger than me, then I give it to my God. And I don't have control over what people have done to me. I can only control what I can control, what's in front of me now. I can't go back and say, hey, why y'all do all this shit to me? For what? What am I going to be sitting around crying over that bullshit for? If it do, it's not going to allow me to grow. I'm happy. I'm smiling. You looking at a bitch you been fucking hit, uh, beat, shot, molested, everything. And I smile every day. And don't none of them motherfuckers cross my mind with a negative vibe. I'm writing a book. Uh, my mama did some fucked up shit to us. And I'd be like, hold on, y'all. That's still my fucking mama. Because I don't hate my mama. See, you got to you gotta realize a lot of this shit is a, a lot of, all of this shit is a cycle. That's what I had to realize. It's a cycle. What you know, you pass down to your kids. If you don't learn shit, then all you can pass down to your kids is what you know. So that's what happened. My mama, my, it's from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Nobody learned shit. So they kept passing down shit. But one day I was like, y'all ain't, this shit ain't about to suck my kids up. So I started to surround myself around better people. I'm sorry, I needed somebody who said, who I could say, what did word right here mean? Or how to spell this? <laughs> <laughs> I needed them kind of friends. <laughs> so, I mean, that's why I'm not angry. I'm happy. I'm forgiving my baby daddy for, you know, for beating on me, for shooting me, for... Fucking really molested me. I had two kids by married man at 15. Yep. I've forgiven my mama. I've forgiven my daddy. I've forgiven a lot of people. They don't even know it. I'm happy. I'm doing good. 
Did your second grade teacher have any influence? A big influence, Miss Troop. She had yeah. a big influence. I think she put the hustle in me. She mm -hmm. made me believe. Even when I was doing time in jail and I was at my lowest lie, I always quoted what she said. Miss Troop said, Patricia, you can be anything in the world you want to be. All you got to do is believe. Have a dream. And I tell my husband today, I said, y'all think I'm spontaneous. But I've all, they was like, my husband's like, you just jump up and do shit. <laughs> nope, I've been dreaming about this shit. I've been feeling it. I've been putting it in the universe. Mm -hmm. I believe everything. If I want something, my dad was like, I tell my husband, I'm going to get that. He was like, yeah. And he look up and I get it. He think I'm playing. I, that's just how I work. I believe. I mean, that lady told me that shit in the bathroom when I was like second, third grade. Mm -hmm. And she just died last year. And I still quote her and I still thank her to this day. And she was definitely a... Mother figure, yeah. Say in your she life, she combed my hair, she brushed my teeth, she gave me clean clothes. I mean, she let me know that when I go home, shit is fucked up, but things can get better. And you've done the same for a lot of kids too. I yeah, know. I was just with my cousin. Uh -huh. My cousin, we just walked, and uh, I told her, I said, I said, I'm putting you in the book because my cousin, I go over my aunt's house. Oh, I don't know, I pro I'm probably 16 at the time with two kids, and my cousin is being raised in the situation I was in. So I tell my auntie, I said, won't you let Boo come live with me? And she was like, okay, because she already had like eight children, everybody having babies. So Boo come live with me, and at this time, I'm a big, I'm a good, I'm a I'm a big-time drug dealer. Mm -hmm. Not the kingpin type, but I'm making good money to be 16. So I teach my niece how to do dr sell drugs. We cut it. We do everything together. After I break off from them, mind you, I'm 16, so my cousin is four years younger than me. So what's that, 10? Four years younger than yeah, 16? Yeah, what's that? Do the math. 12. 12. She's 12. Goddamn, it take me that long to add. Took so all she, of us that long. <laughs> <laughs> so she's 12 years old, and she's selling drugs with me. She's just selling drugs with me. And so she get about 14, and uh, she take a dope case for me. The police are determined to get me. So she go wow. to juvenile, and she get pregnant, and she go to juvenile, and she do the time for me. And I told her today, I said, I put you in a book. I just want to tell you I'm sorry. I fucked up your life. And she told me, she said, bitch, you saved me. She said, because I could be like your sister. I could be like my sister. Yeah, I took a dope charge from you, but you taught me a lot of shit about the hood. And I almost teared up, because to me, I fucked her life up. She went to jail for two years. She gave birth to her first child in jail. She mm -hmm. got pregnant. She was all the shit. She was just, we was just doing the cycle, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, high school dropout. We both dropped out. She ended up getting her GED later on, too. Mm -hmm. And she, she owned a tie shop in Nanticator. And I was like, I fucked your life up. And she was like, no, you didn't. You saved me. I said, yeah, I saved you for one thing, but I put you in, I put you in some dangerous situation. She was like, well, you family. She said, you taught me a lot, even though you wanna you wanna admit it. And I think about that all the time. That's what that's what fucks me up uh, about the whole drug dealing because I brought so many other kids that I was trying to help. Mm -hmm. But I was a kid myself. I'm not making excuses for me, but I fucked up their life. I got another niece who 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 I left. She's still selling drugs. I don't know, I don't think she's doing it to this day. But I got another niece that when we used to fucking do other illegal shit, I got her locked up. And then they took drug charges with me. But, you know, she's good. She's working. She got a good job. She's in Texas now. But I've asked them all. I tell them, I said, I fucked y'all life up. I introduced y'all to shit y'all shouldn't have been introduced to. But they, I was like, Rabbit, you saved us. Because they mama was on drugs and shit. Mm -hmm. And they look at it being saved. But I looked at it, I could have did a better job. But again, I was only 16. But you also help kids not only 
in like the drug realm, but didn't you also run a concession stand at one time? Yeah. <laughs> you, you helped, you hired kids to work that? In the inner city, yeah, because I lived in Riverdale. So mm -hmm. a lot of those kids was just, you know, they didn't, I never worked with a, a group of dumbass people in my life. I'm being, I cannot believe today's youth. They dumb as fuck. Them kids can even goddamn count change back without the register. I'm like, oh, motherfucker, 52 cent, count from 52. Mm -hmm. And on up to a dollar, they didn't know shit. So I taught them a lot. Yeah. A lot of them, you know, they went on, to date, they, most of them went on to college. A lot of them went on to do good things in life. And then most of them got good jobs, but... I mean, a lot of them, the parents was, you know, when you're in the inner city, most of them single parents household, the one parent is working their ass off. So it's kind of hard to raise a kid. So a lot of them, like, hung around me. Because I'm, I'm I was a stay-at-home mom. I just went to the dome and shit. Mm -hmm. And so, but talking to them, they were some, some stupid motherfuckers. <laughs> But I, and I kept it real with them, and that's what they like about me. Mm -hmm. I tell them, they was like, they, they would go around here. I said, well, well, if you're just going to give somebody your pussy, then what do you have? I mean, you're you going to let somebody, you're going to go and have sex with somebody, and then they disrespect you? And that's what, they had no value. They just thought, oh, everybody having sex, I'm supposed to have sex. Well, what happened when this motherfucker get you AIDS? What happened when you get a baby? Bitch, you cannot stick a baby back up your pussy. A baby mm -hmm. is not a tampon. <laughs> okay? When it's out, it's out. And I just told him shit like that. I was like, you know, stand up for yourself. Don't ever let nobody walk over you. I've never seen a group of weak-minded motherfuckers in my life. Because, I mean, I guess because I raised myself. Mm -hmm. And, like, they would, they would bow down to my daughter because my daughter my daughter was like, my daughter a fucking pushover. She, she, she liked to push people over. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I said, look, y'all don't have to bow down to my daughter because y'all work for me. Cuss this bitch out. Don't let her talk to y'all. And then you let me cuss y'all, but don't let my daughter cuss y'all, Okay. <laughs> So uh, just a lot of that. And they still thank me to this day. They was like, Miss Pat, I learned a lot from you. But mm -hmm. I just kept it real with them. You know, like when um, I have a, a kid, he's a preacher, and his name is Antonio. And uh, Antonio was, um, he was in line to be Valley Victoria at Riverdale High, which is not a big deal because fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> You're dealing with all black kids on 310 making Valley Victoria. <laughs> so we sitting now, and um, Antonio thought he was better than all the other kids. And I told Antonio, I said, Antonio, you know, you want to have your nose in the air, and you only want to hang out with the smart kids, what you think is smart. I said, and the dumb kids, you don't want to be bothering them. I said, but when you get out in the real world, you got to deal with all kind of people. I mean, from Oprah Winfrey level down to a motherfucking crackhead. You got to know how to talk to all people. So if you don't know how, if you only know how to talk to one group of people, then you, your life is limited, motherfucker. I don't give a fuck. I'm me all the time. I'm going to talk to Obama. I can talk to Obama, and I can talk to a crackhead, my crackhead sister. And I ain't got to change who I am. I said, but you, I said, you need to find out who you are. You pretending to be something that you not. Mm. I said, so all you, I said, don't, don't, don't. Fucking close people out because you feel like they can't use the more nice ass words you use. That don't mean shit when your fuck when your characteristic is fucked up. When the person you really are inside is fucked up. Mm -hmm. I said, won't you treat everybody the same? Whether they dumb, smug, black, white, green, with one eye in their fucking head. Treat everybody the same. And I, I talked to him a couple of months a couple of months ago. He said, that's one thing I learned from you. Mm -hmm. We we all the same. Mm -hmm. And we all the same. I mean, ain't nothing different. I'm fatter than you. You white. I'm black. You probably got a college degree, and I probably know how to cook cocaine. That's the only <laughs> thing different. 
That's well, why they call you Miss Pizzle. <laughs> the kids did call me Miss Pizzle. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes. I hated that shit. <laughs> oh, really? That was before Snoop Dogg doing the, the drizzles and all that. I don't know where them kids got that from. They call, my, my son now, he calls me Miss Pizzle, and mm-hmm. he called me Juicy. Oh. I hate that. You don't call your fucking mama Juicy. That's little, nasty. It's a little weird. <laughs> Not little... to him. He'll call me, what's up, Juicy? I said, don't call me Juicy, bitch. So, and we're close in age, too. <laughs> yeah, so when we go out, I always look like a cougar with him. <laughs> and I have to tell people, I'm not fucking him. This is my son. Stop putting this boy on me. He dumb as fuck. I don't fuck people who can go more than twice. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did y'all get that? <laughs> oh, we're getting it all. We're getting it all. I love your honesty and your... You're a natural born hustler. I mean, even it's I mean, it's in your genes. Your mom would take the family around to different oh, churches. It started before that. It get started, baptized. Yeah. So they would pay the bills and the food. Yeah. It started it, before that? Yeah, it started with granddaddy bootleg house. Mm-hmm. That that's as far as I can remember. Uh my granddaddy sold bootleg looker. So mm-hmm. I mean, the hustler came from there. You know, like I, I'm quite sure you heard the story how I had to steal out of people's pocket and my, mm-hmm. my mom would pay me five dollars per person. That's a lot of money for an eight-year-old to go play Pac-Man. And so it, I never seen nobody with no job. Literally, I was talking to my cousin yesterday. I said, do you know that nobody has a job in our family? Nobody has a career? My cousin owned a tie shop. My brother is a fake-ass mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> he he, um, he fixed people's cars and changed his phone number. And... Um, <laughs> 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 he fixed people cars and chain their phone on because he ain't right. He uh-huh. is not right. <laughs> and everybody else just living off the system. I got an uncle that's a mechanic. And I told my cousin, I was like, literally nobody has a career. Other than I have a comedy career, she got a tie shop, and my brother, uh, my brother's a fake ass mechanic. <laughs> and I'm looking at like my my granddaddy kids. He had eight kids. And I'm looking at all of them, the ones that's not in jail. Nobody really has a career. Well, you do. I have a career, mm-hmm. yes, because I don't fuck with them. <laughs> 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 My cousin on the tie shop, she's doing really well. So, she I mean, she has something going on. But it's just, there's three people that I can think of. Those tough experiences have certainly paid off. I mean, by, by 15, you have two kids. You've been shot twice. You're not only a crack dealer, you're like the plug on the block. You're running it. You're making like 10 grand a, a week doing this. Yeah, I made a lot of money. Sometime a day, yeah. So, like, how how was that hustle carried over into comedy? the comedy game? Ah, uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I use the same. I use the same tactics. Like, you got to get up. You got when everybody else is sleeping. You got to be putting your fucking product together, which is jokes now instead mm-hmm. of crack. And like, literally, if I come home from an open mic or I come home, I come from a, a show. I literally get out my laptop, and if I if I been working on anything, I go right to work on it. Wow. Um, uh, I don't have a problem with going to open mic. You know, some people think, I ain't got time for no open mic shit. I don't have a problem. If I fly into a state early, if I see you got an open mic and I'm your headliner, I would ask the club, hey, let me come and close out there open mic just because I want to work on shit. It's the same hustle. You know, the early bird catches the worm. I wake, I still wake up at, I mean, I go to the gym a lot now. Mm-hmm. So I, I literally get up at 3 o'clock and go to the gym, and then I fucking come back to my hotel room. Or I get back in bed and I work on my laptop. Were there any bad habits you had to break? 
No, I ain't never did drugs. Never smoked. Eating is my fucking bad habit. Can't mm-hmm. you see it? All in my face and ass. <laughs> I just mean from the hustle side of it. Were there any things that didn't carry over you had to kind of get away from? Yeah, jail. Jail? Jail. Okay. Guess you won't go to jail for being too funny. <laughs> no, you won't go to jail for that shit. Just, uh, you know, like breaking a law and... and um, when when you hustling like that, everything comes fast. And when you earning your money the right way, everything comes slow. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's what that's what the shocker right there. Because my husband, straight out of the military, always had a job. And I'm like, he was like, you need to quit selling drugs and fucking, you know, get a job. And I'm like, nigga, where they do that at? <laughs> <laughs> you know where they do that at? I'm 16 yeah. years old with a two thousand dollar pocketbook. Where do they do that at? Yeah, I don't right. do that kind of shit. <laughs> but he kept. So I would say. That's the bad habit. You don't always want to find a hustle. So that's why I started doing the dome, and that's why I started doing other shit. And, and I, you know, I never really just had a really a job. It's always had to be for myself. Mm-hmm. Even when I worked at General Motors, I was like, this shit too slow for me. My husband was like, oh, this $22 now. Fuck that shit. You put that fucking oil in the back of that car. I'm going to go find something on my own to do. And he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it. I said, because I like to be in control. I like to be in control. I like to say, this is what I'm going to do. Or, di- or I don't want to do that. When you had a job, you got to clock in and do the same shit over and over again. I hate doing the same shit over and over again. The great part about being a comedian, at least you can change your outfit. Or at least you can start <laughs> from the back of your set and go to the front of your set. Mm-hmm. Or you can start in the middle with a job. You and Like building a car is the same bullshit over and over again. Just watching people get old. I'm not a fucking uh, uh, old people watcher. I like living. I like doing shit. But my husband, he don't mind doing it. But that reliability of your husband has certainly been the turning point in your life. Fuck yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a foundation. When I was going out doing open mics and buy me a plane ticket so I can go to Missouri and do an open mic. What the fuck? <laughs> I was like, you don't get it. You don't understand. This shit is real. He's like, but he would complain, but he would do it. He was doing it. I mean, honestly, he's been the foundation of my career. I always call him a hater because he don't think I'm funny. Wow. And he never really thought I was funny. He's like, telling them motherfucking chicken coat coop jokes. <laughs> <laughs> He's not laughing anymore because a lot of things is beginning to happen. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, when he had to take his credit card out and, you know, fucking fly me the book two to do an open mic or wow. try to showcase for a gig or I'm driving somewhere and only making $50 but don't want to tell him. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm making no damn money. But he didn't understand that side of of it. You know, all he knows is I punch in, I make a certain amount of money, it's always going to be there. With comedy, you don't get the same amount of money in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, never you really get the same amount of money. Everybody offer you what they think you worth. And some, in the beginning, it was $50. How the hell are you going to drive to Hinesville for $50? Uh, that's $50. <laughs> yep. Fuck the $50. It's stage time. And yep. he couldn't understand how valuable the stage time was versus the money. Like, and, and literally, if I do a TV interview, they're going to pay you. I said, shut the fuck up. I don't get paid for a inter- TV interview. That's what he don't understand. Yeah, I just drove nine hours to Kokomo, Indiana for $100. So. Oh, you drove just, out there where I was at? Yeah. Oh, we with, with Ronnie I was with Jordan. Ronnie. Yeah, yeah. But your, your husband was at least a comedy fan because you guys did meet at a comedy show. It was comedy karaoke. It was comedy karaoke, yeah. yeah. We went to go see Bruce Bruce lip syncing. Lip, uh, lip sync. Lip sync. Was that a backstage? No. Oh, okay. 
Oh, yeah, that was backstage. Huh? What you know about backstage? I know about backstage. Ah, it's a laundromat now. <laughs> I'm out here. I'm on the hustle. It was it was like a little hot spot. And I want to say it was like a Friday night, and Bruce Bruce was hosting, mm -hmm. and they had comedians, and they had lip syncing. And, boy, we went there that night, and he just, I knew his brother already. And he sat across the table, and I was like, hey, fat boy, you want to split some wings? And so we started talking. And he didn't know that I had a now hiring baby daddy sign out. So I needed a baby daddy. And I was like, oh, he got back teeth, ching ching, I'm gonna get him. <laughs> <laughs> but not only his reliability, but with his job, having the reliable job at GM, it took him up to Indianapolis, where yes. really- My career took a turn. Huge pivot. Yes. White was. people. <laughs> it was it was not the scenery here that I was used to in Atlanta. And I tell you, moving to Indianapolis probably, I know, moving to Indianapolis saved my career because God know I probably would be somewhere going in circus. It was there when I went to the comedy club and you know, one of the managers was like, you really got some good, I would tell them about my life but not on stage. And he was like, you should say that on stage. And I was like, this shit ain't funny. Hmm. And he was like, yes it is funny. And so we were just talking and, and by being at Morty's, they kind of, they helped me started to put my set together. You know, my friend Avery Diligent, who works there, still there. And he started to help me put my set together to, to for me to have something to talk about other than roaches and, you know, bullshit that mm -hmm. you hear a lot of black comics talk about. So it allowed, it opened my eyes. Moving to Indianapolis really opened my eyes. I had no, no idea that a, a joke consists of uh, um, um, uh, um, opening, middle, and ending. <laughs> <laughs> a premise. So right. usually, uh, you, if you ever go to a black club, you see a lot of black comedians. All they got is a premise, a yeah. funny ass premise. Like, oh, that joke is funny. No, motherfucker, that's just a premise. Yeah, it's a good you idea. Understand it. It's a good idea. Yeah. Good start. A good start, but it's nothing there. <laughs> yeah, my girlfriend got hit by a car. Oh, bitch, eat poach up. Well, what the rest of the joke? <laughs> Why your girlfriend got hit by the car? Why your girlfriend eat poach up? Well, what happened after your girlfriend? They don't. A lot of them don't go there. So and that's what come. That's what I learned from being in Indianapolis. Is actually you know, the craft. The craft of it, yeah. You know, and and just freeing myself on stage, just you know, not being ashamed of what I went through. That's when I really started talking about who I was, and I and I thought people couldn't relate, but I was wrong. It don't matter where you come from, who you are, it's something in my set that you can relate to. If it didn't happen to you, you know a motherfucker who had a baby young. You know somebody who's on welfare. You know somebody who did this. You know somebody who did that. I don't give a fuck if it's just a mammogram joke. Everybody got titties. All the women got titties, right? I don't care if your titties are gone. You remember when you had titties, right? So that's how I try to write. You know, I And I don't go out to get a certain group of people. I just tell you about me. I probably can't get you as a fan. And personally, I don't give a fuck. You know, what can I do? Mm -hmm. I can't say, shake you up and there. I want you to think I'm funny. Personally, I don't give a fuck. I'm, I'm a grown-ass woman. I just got to do what I do and keep it moving. Everybody, in, I had to learn that everybody's not going to like you as a comedian. I wanted everybody to like me, but I started thinking, well, fuck, my own real daddy didn't like me. So why am I chasing these motherfuckers mm -hmm. <laughs> that I don't know? I didn't know my real daddy, and I didn't chase his ass. <laughs> so I was like, fuck it. I, I don't care if you like me. And that shows the resilience of your character in that you're pretty much raised to almost be scared of white people. And yeah, like, and I was very scared of them. Well, my mama said, uh, she, she used to say shit like, uh, white people is better than you. Don't ever look them in the eye. They the devil. 
And you know, of course, you know black people think y'all the devil. Of course, yeah, yeah. it's my opener. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you the devil. That's how I was raised. Don't ever look them in the eye. And this, like they're better than me. So when I moved to Indianapolis and I'm at a mainstream club, I'm no longer at Uptown. Mm -hmm. I'm in a place where I might be the only fucking black person in the club beside one of the other owners. And I look up and and it would just, they, I would come off stage and be like, oh my God, you're so funny. And I would look away because I was taught to look away. Right. And they would make me nervous. And it was like, oh, you so funny. I said to myself, get your fucking hand on me before I choke the shit out of you. This is what I would say to myself. Because I was nervous. I mean, I've never really had any interaction with white people other than going to jail. And it, and it wasn't y'all fault I went to jail. I fucking commit a crime. But when you in jail, is you know, honestly, the population is mostly black people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I, I had never really interact with them until I moved to Indianapolis. And you also made fun of comics doing the white rooms. You'd say, oh, you're going and getting that white money. Well, that's what we used to say. Yeah. Like People like Drew. Yeah. Drew never was on the upside town, upside, uh -huh. uptown side. So we were like, Drew over there getting that white money. Fuck him. <laughs> because that's all I knew. You know, those are the people that I knew. But when I, when I started to realize what real comedy was and when I got to Indianapolis and when I got over my whole fear of what I was taught, and I was like, shit. You know, if you write, if you write material, if you write good material, you get all types of people that like you right. from all, no matter what color they are. So I stopped. I I never tried to chase white people. I never tried to chase black people. I just wanted to be funny, but just so happened my 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 comedy. I got a lot a lot of more white fans than I do black fans now because of what I do, and I don't do like a lot of the black shows, they don't call me for that. I'm just as funny as anybody else, but right now I don't get called for that kind of stuff. But, I mean, I got a few, but not as many as I do Caucasian fans. I don't know how this shit happened. This is the craziest shit in the world to me. One of the craziest things to me is just the segregation of comedy. Very. I think with with the black comics, I think a lot of them like me. You know, they, they think white people are not gonna get it. You know. Uh, and you gotta admit, a lot of the lingo we use, like the way young people talk today, I have no fucking idea what they saying. I'm like, what are you trying to say? Just speak fucking Ebonics or correct English. What is this slang shit? I don't get it. So if you if you in a, if you a black comedian and you using shit that people ain't used to hearing every day, they're not gonna get your joke. You know, I mean, are, are you doing? Are you watching something that everybody's not watching? Okay, everybody watched the Game of Thrones, right? But don't everybody watch the Real Housewives of Atlanta? I'm black. Mm -hmm. If you on stage talking about the Real Housewives of Atlanta, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about because I don't watch the Real Housewives of Atlanta. That's what I'm saying. The Game of Thrones, way more people of all races watch Housewives of Atlanta. Only. Certain, that's a small circle. So I think with black comics, we get we we get the thing. Well, they're not, they're never gonna get who we are, but that's not true. If you making your shit, if you making your shit, uh, big enough, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know the fucking word I'm looking universal? for. Universal. Yes, universal enough to talk about something everybody might be familiar with. Michael Jackson is universal. Right. Motherfucking um, future. Just only a certain amount of people know who the fuck that is. You can go all around the world and talk about Michael Jackson, but you can't go all around the world and talk about no motherfucking future. Because it don't work like that. So that's how comedy is. Where, you know, if you talking about rap to me, I don't know what the fuck you talking about. I don't listen to rap music. I listen to folk like T.I., Tupac, fucking 
LL Cool J. When they had something to say, these motherfuckers ain't got the shit. Fuck your gold chain. Fuck your car you rented for this video. And fuck your hoes. It's paying off, though. On uh, Last Comic Standing, yep. you were one of the few comics that got a, like a, a feature where they interview your family and things. What was the qualification for that? Did, you, did they, they offer you that afterwards, or was this all part of the deal? Uh, once I got, once I got a, accepted on the show, and uh, they just called me up one day. And say, tell me what's unique about your family. I said, we all fat. <laughs> but uh, we don't have diabetes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> At least the kids don't right now. Uh -huh. And they just said, we would like to come out to your house and do a, uh, you know, to meet your family and stuff. So I said, okay, come on out. My kids want to be on TV. Yeah. So my daughter came up from Atlanta and my um, um, they came out and it was hilarious. Did you see it? Did you see the I episode? My it. daughter mm -hmm. was so fucking funny on that. Yeah. But she's funny anyway. I try to get her to do open mic. She won't. She's scared or? She's 17 and mm. her whole dream is going to Ivy League school and be the first child uh, her, her mom and dad had that has a uh, college degree. Mm -hmm. So her, her whole thing is about whooping all the other kids' ass and saying, oh, I told y'all I was better than y'all. Yeah. Yeah. And she's very, she's very political. She like she watch a lot of CNN. I asked her the other day. She's always talking about what's going on in the country, and so I told her, I said, you gotta watch, stop watching so much CNN because if you keep watching so much CNN, it's gonna make you, it's gonna make you one minded like people who watch Fox. Yep. Yeah. So she was like, I, so I asked, her, I said, are you racist? She said, no, I'm not racist. Um, but I, I'm. A, she said, I'm not racist, but um. I'm race conscious. So I said, well, what the fuck is race conscious? She said, um, she said, I know what white people think of black people. I said, well, what do white people think of us? She said, they think we're all uh, all lazy and unemployed. So wow. I said, well, Gariana, you are lazy and you unemployed. <laughs> she said, <laughs> I said, so you exactly what white people think you are. She got so mad. She's like, I'm not talking about me. I said, but you black. Yeah. And you say this is what they think about you, right? <laughs> <laughs> she was fucking. Li she was livid. She yeah. was so mad at me. I said, but if you if you think that's the way somebody think about you, a, a race of people or your race of people, well then won't you won't you prove them wrong? Why don't you prove them wrong? I said, but you are lazy and you are unemployed. You're lazy as fuck. I tried to get you a job. You said no because technically I was responsible for you till you was 18, which is fucking genius. <laughs> 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 yeah. Can't outsmart Miss Pizzle. Yeah, she is. She's just something else. So she got so mad. I was like, you are lazy and you fucking are unemployed. So you're exactly what you think white people think you are. Well, they have a mom that works extremely hard. And yes. it's starting to pay off. I'm so happy with how your career is going well, right now. You. Just seeing the positive feedback you got on Last Comic Standing. All the judges loved it. The audience loved it. There seemed to be a moment between you and Roseanne. Like, do you guys have a history together? Yeah, I used to open, I, um, I did a show called uh, Real Funny as Mom, mm -hmm. and Roseanne took me out to Vegas and opened for her a couple of shows. So, yeah, I do kind of have a history with Roseanne. I like Roseanne. Mm -hmm. I always pray one day that I get a sitcom, and it's it's like I'm the, I'm the like Roseanne, but a little bit more edgier. So I pray that that happen one day. What would you call the sitcom? Miss Pat Shaw. <laughs> I'm gonna need to work if this motherfucker ever get canceled. So. <laughs> is that one of those kind of like how you 
dreamed from Miss Troop telling you can dream and make it happen. Is this one of those yeah. things you're dreaming that you're uh, gonna yeah. make happen? I've always, yeah, I've always dreamed that I was having my own sitcom one day. I always dreamed that I would be selling out of theaters one day. My whole dream is to come up through the floor and pray that the lift don't stop because I'm too heavy. <laughs> 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 I'll keep saying, oh, I need to change that drink because I know that fucking lift is going to think I'm too heavy. <laughs> and it's just going to stop halfway. Then they're going to see my big ass crawling out the floor. <laughs> that would go viral. <laughs> I bet it would too. <laughs> well, before the sitcom even comes out, you have a book coming out, which you being an eighth grade dropout, now releasing a book. I didn't write the book, people. I have a, I have a writer, okay? I ain't write no goddamn book. I told the story. But I have a book coming out through HarperCollins. They purchased it last year, which I'm really excited about. Because, be. I mean, because, you know, I do a lot of podcasts and a lot of stories that I cannot tell on stage. Mm -hmm. It's just not, it doesn't fit the stage. And, and you know, I, in this book, people really get to, get to know who I am, what I went through. And the book start with saying, have an open mind before you want to judge, because I did some fucked up shit in my life, mm -hmm. and I lay it all out in this book. I mean, I went through some difficult times, and, you know, I put drugs in my kids' draws. Mm -hmm. I made some major mistakes. I, I tell people, I say, well, you can admit that you was a horrible mom in the beginning. I was a fucking horrible mom. Yes, I was 16. I was 15 with two kids, but that's no excuse. Some of the shit, I don't even know if I knew better. I wish I had known better. Like selling drugs in front of her school and right. had an excuse. My biggest excuse was, well, I was here. I was I was actually there before the no school drug signs went up. Oh. So when the when the signs went up, I was already grandfathered in. So <laughs> <laughs> so technically, you can't fuck with nobody who was there before you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how I laugh at that situation. Yeah. I said, technically, I was grandfathered grandfathered yeah. in. You could tell so, the judge that I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Get more time. Fuck you, talking about school zones. No selling drugs in school zones. I was here before you thought of this stupid shit and put them little babies on that fucking side. What are you talking about, Judge? <laughs> you had your way around the law. Was there any sort of like backdoor deals you were able to work out with a like judge or something with your pull? Um, I just had a good lawyer. Oh, yeah. Did shots. He's still here in Atlanta. We're was gonna that Gucci Man's lawyer? It was Gucci Man's lawyer. He was my fucking lawyer first. Oh, bird. <laughs> I met it. him. I met him when he had just got became a lawyer. He used to be a police officer. Yeah, he used to be a police officer. And I met Dennis Shia. He was just him, no secretary, smaller office, but had a good reputation with getting drug dealers bond. This was back when, when you first went to jail for drugs in Atlanta, back in the early 90s, they didn't really know the fucking whole thing of it, you know, how, how crazy it was. So you could just get a bond right off the bat. When I got locked up, you didn't get a bond right off the bat. They had changed it like two years later. So I met Dennis Shia through another drug dealer who had got out. And <laughs> I tell Dennis Shia all the time, I said, bitch, I gave you a career. I hooked you up in the hood. I took you to every drug dealer, every friend I had, they got arrested. I said, call Dennis Shot. And I tell him that all the time. I still, I talked to him about six months ago. Yeah. And he thanks you? Just uh, like no, everybody else? Talking. What the fuck you talking about, rabbit? Right. Still call me rabbit. I said, my name ain't no fucking rabbit, okay? Stop calling me rabbit. <laughs> so he's like, I was like, I gave your ass a career. That's why you so popular in Atlanta. That's why all the drug dealers and murderers know one. Because of you. Uh, yeah, the old school ones. Wow. <laughs> and the name just kept traveling. 
when you do a good job, your name travel. <laughs> is he in the book? Like, is that one of those stories? He's in the book. He was tell? young back then. He had hair. I think his hair <laughs> fell out now. He was so sexy, man. I said, oh, you look like a beautiful Superman. Just cuter. <laughs> but I think then his hair done fell out. He's older now. Uh, what was I, 17 when I first got arrested? So then his had to be, because his kids was baby. They, they, they grown and married now. Wow. Yeah, that's how long I've been knowing him. I mean, these stories in the book are some of them ones you tried on stage, but they weren't funny, so you have to save them for the book? No, or? they're just never stage, no, just not stage material. I mean, yeah. there's only so much you can put on stage that people take me like, God damn, like sometimes I right. perform and, and people people want to cry. I would love to know, since you're, you have all these great stories, some of them are worthy of stage. I know you've said you learned how to tell stories from Bill Cosby. Yes, so. and Richard Pryor. So could you maybe give a little inside baseball in that process? Well, I had a next-door neighbor when I, in Riverdale when I first started doing comedy, and he was like, your voice is raspy like Mom Mabel, and I had never heard of Mom Mabel because I was not a comedy person. And, and I would sit on my back porch when I first started doing open mic and just tell the stories to my next-door neighbor who was a big comedy person. And... Um, and I would tell him, he's like, you got stories like Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. And I had heard Richard Pryor name first, like through my caseworker, because right. she was like, you know, you funny like Richard Pryor. Oh, your stories are like Richard Pryor. So my neighbor kept saying it, and I had already Googled him. So I said, well, I need to learn how to tell a fucking story, but I really didn't know how to put it together. So when I moved out to Indianapolis, I mean, I started looking at Bill Cosby, but I couldn't get it. I would see these stories and how he would loop them around and bring them back. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how the fuck did he do that? But once I got to Indianapolis around people who kind of was familiar with that type of comedy, then I started to learn how to just tell stories. I'm still learning. I'm nowhere as good as they are. But uh, neither one of them, I wish. You know, Bill Cosby so put you in. When Bill Cosby is tell, sorry for all the shit he's going through. Right. But um, when he tell a story, it's almost like you right there with him. Yeah. And that's what I want people to get. I want you to, no matter what race you are, I want you to be in that looker house and see how fucked up this situation is and still laugh at it. So can you do that just on a minor adjustments? Like, just use a joke example from Last Comic Standing how you talk about how you're running away from somebody shooting at you, and the old, old version of the joke is you saying, it was 20 years ago when they built strong fences, but on Last Comic Standing, you say you ran through the fence. Does that give a more visual cue to the audience? Is that why you change it? <laughs> You've really been studying me. Um, jumping over the fence is the original version, mm -hmm. yes. When I did it for Comedy Central, I changed it to running through the fence. So it was a little bit more funnier. You know, jokes is, even though it's how truthful I am, you still have to tweak it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I, when I did it the newer way, it got a bigger laugh because people can actually see, your big ass ain't jumping over no fence. You might have ran through a fence. So you can uh -huh. see my big ass running through a fence in the hood. Uh -huh. So just for visual matters. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's how jokes work. <laughs> you know, you still keep the truth there, but you still have to twerk it a little bit. Twerk it. Yeah, twerk it up. Tweak it. Uh -huh. Is it tweak it? Well, twerk is the, the booty shaking dance. Oh, well, you can do no. that too, too, if that's what you like. So tweak it. <laughs> so that's how you, you have a baseline story, and then you'll just embellish certain If I need to, it? yeah. Uh -huh. Because some of it, like, my stories are fuck, fucked up stories. So it's going to make you cringe. And I can tell the people, like, when they, huh, and they holding back, uh, 
Uh, okay, I can give you a better example. Okay, I got shot in the head by my baby daddy, right? Mm -hmm. So for years, I could never get people to laugh at that joke. And I was like, this is funny. To me, everything is funny <laughs> to me. Right. And, and my man's like, it's not funny for a dude to shoot a woman in the back of the head. I said, something there is funny. So I kept playing around with it. So one day I said, you know, my kid's father, I said, I've been through a lot in my life. My kid's father shot me in the back of the head. Immediately, everybody was like, what the fuck? Right. I said, but don't worry. It was not his fault. It was my fault because I dunked slow. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Did she just say that? Yeah. But I did get shot in the back of my head. And then, of course, it was not my fault. But I couldn't get people to laugh at it. Oh, okay. And I thought it was funny. Like, I, some of this horrible shit in my life, and my man was like, that shit ain't funny. Fuck you. You don't know what it is to be black in America. It's funny to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's how I look at it. Well, I don't I don't want you to give away all your secrets here, Miss Pat. Um, but before we get out of here, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, do you have anything else you want the world to know? No, other than the book is coming out and, you know, check me out on Twitter. I don't do a lot of Instagram, but I'm there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't take pictures of my food. I don't have time for that <laughs> shit. Um, and I'm also on uh, Facebook, and it's Comedian uh, Miss Pat, M-S-P-A-T. Just follow me. And and when when you post it, I'll be more than happy to uh Tweet, you know, retweet it Absolutely, for you and yes. shit like that. And the book is still going to be called Rabbit? Still going to be called Rabbit. Yes, right. it is. Which was your childhood nickname and It was Uncle my drug Bunny. dealing name. It was mm -hmm. my drug dealing name. So it, it, it'll, be, it'll be pretty interesting. Wow. Well, thank I'm you. I'm going to be selling them out the trunk, too. <laughs> <laughs> Old habits die hard. <laughs> I'm going to be selling them out the trunk. I just think I can do a better job than the bookstore. <laughs> That's that hustling. That's that me. street. Yeah, the street smarts. <laughs> Yes, it is. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Mm. What a sweet time with a sweet lady. For all you wondering, her book will be released in 2016, so keep an eye out for that. And thank you for keeping an eye out on Hot Breath. You can continue that support on our iTunes page, where your reviews are greatly appreciated. You know, we're a new and noteworthy podcast on there, so it shouldn't be hard to find, and you could... Leave a review as simple as Tony Tommy Yoster saying, quote, killing it. That's all it takes, people. And if you can't find the killing it key, uh, a simple five-star rating goes a long way. Thank you for the support. And thank you to Aaron Rodgers for the theme song and Tyler Gunzenhauser for the engineering specialty. They are on social media, at Aaron A. Rogers and at Tyler Guns with a Z. And I am online at joelbyerscomedy.com. There you can find all my social media at joelbyerscomedy, as well as links to the comedy class I teach, as well as my weekly Wednesday show at Java Monkey Indicator. I appreciate your generosity, and we just have one more episode in this series. I know, you're thinking, but Joel... You already interviewed all eight Atlanta comics on this season of Last Comic Standing. There's no way you got an interview with last year's winner, who also was from Atlanta. Hmm. Well, I guess I'll see you next week on another hot breath. Oh, oh.